How is your hearing this morning? I've been thinking about our hearing, about my hearing. Uh, over this last week, we, we just installed a, a speaker in the lobby. Uh, we have one upstairs in the cry room, nearly completed. Uh, and we've rebooted the hearing assisted devices available at the back of the soundboard. But, um, but that's not actually the kind of hearing uh, that I've been thinking about this past week. As, as I've been reading Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21 this past week, I've been thinking about the kind of hearing that gives evidence that we are believers and followers of Jesus. I've been thinking about uh, it because that is the kind of hearing that Jesus is talking about in our passage together this morning. It's my prayer that as we read and study Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21, we would have ears to hear. The, the gracious invitation of Jesus, to hear Him, to hear His invitation to come to Him, to be justified by Him, and to be adopted into His family. May the Lord give us ears to hear this morning. If you haven't done so already, let me encourage you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, open your Bibles, and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. You can find Luke 8 beginning on page 864 of the Bibles provided. And while you're turning there, let's just review a little bit some of the background of Luke's gospel, what we've studied so far. Uh, the purpose of Luke's gospel in the true story of the Bible is to announce that God has kept his promise to send his son and restore all that was lost in the fall of Adam. Luke's gospel announces the redemption and salvation that the world has been waiting for. According to Luke, Jesus, he is the second Adam. He is the promised offspring of Abraham, the prophet who was greater than Moses and the promised king and son of David. Jesus has come, in the words of Luke chapter 1, verses 77 and 78, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. We have seen that demonstrated in varying ways throughout our study of Luke's gospel. Most recently, we saw God's forgiveness demonstrated in a profound and powerful way right at the end of Luke chapter 7. There, Jesus forgave a woman who was known as a great sinner. Luke clearly wants us to, to keep that event in mind, even as Jesus' ministry is on the move. Uh, the opening words of chapter 8, you'll notice there, are soon afterward. And they, they beg the question, well, soon after what? Well, soon after this woman had been forgiven, Jesus, he goes about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and, and the central question of Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21, calls us to consider this. Are we, you and me, are we hearing and receiving the good news of the kingdom of God for ourselves? The issue of hearing is of first importance in these verses. Hearing in one form or another is mentioned no less than nine times in these verses. In our passage, we learn that there are at least four characteristics of those who truly hear and receive the good news of the kingdom of God. True hearers follow Jesus, bear fruit, give light, and obey God. Those four characteristics are what we will consider for the rest of this sermon. True hearers follow Jesus. True hearers bear fruit. True hearers give light. And true hearers obey God. 
Let's begin with our first point and the first characteristic that we see in these verses. True hearers follow Jesus. We see this in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Let me read those verses. Luke 8, 1 to 3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Shuza, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Here, Jesus, he continues his ministry in Galilee. And as I mentioned earlier, through the opening words, words of verse 1, soon afterward, Luke wishes for us to connect the previous scene to this one. You'll recall that in Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 36 to 50, the responses of Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman, they, they're kind of, they stand in sharp contrast. Simon, he saw little need for Jesus. But the sinful woman saw that Jesus was the only one who could meet her needs. Her life was transformed by Jesus when she came to know the forgiveness of her sins through him. The wonderful grace of Jesus filled her heart with love for him. Following Jesus are men and women whose lives have been forever transformed by the power of this great and gracious king. Just like the, the woman in the preceding verses, these men and women, they go with Jesus. They go following him. And providing for him because they love him. In time, many of these followers will even die for Jesus and the proclamation of his kingdom. They will follow him even though it will cost them their lives. How could anything be worth the cost of your life? What was it that Jesus was proclaiming and bringing? How good was this good news of the kingdom? It is so good. That giving up everything to follow Jesus is more than worth it. Proclaiming and bringing the kingdom is at the heart of everything that Jesus came to do on earth. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus said that he must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus mentioned the kingdom in chapter 6, verse 20, and in chapter 7, verse 28. The kingdom is mentioned twice in our passage this morning. And it will be mentioned in nearly every subsequent chapter in Luke's gospel from this point forward. What is this good news connected with the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom is indivisibly connected with the king. We've already learned from Jesus' genealogy and the first two chapters of Luke's gospel that Jesus is the king that we've been waiting for. That the Bible has been expecting and anticipating. He is the one who brings the kingdom. We do not. In some respects, Jesus, uh, his bringing of the kingdom comes in stages. It is here, yet it is, is near, and still it is to arrive in the distant future. It has come, and it is coming. That's the framework that Luke's gospel kind of announces. Its present arrival and its future arrival are connected with the critical junctures of the king's work. It arrives with Jesus' arrival. And it will advance in Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and the, the outpouring of the Spirit and, and the preaching of the gospel by his apostles, the, the twelve who are mentioned here. 
And the kingdom will come. It's still in the future. It, it will come in its final form when the king returns in judgment. This is what we come to learn about the kingdom of God from Jesus preaching throughout the Gospels as well as from the other New Testament writers. The kingdom has come and it is coming. And what did this mean for Jesus' first hearers? Well, it meant that they needed to recognize that the long-awaited king had come in Jesus Christ. And this means that those around Jesus needed to recognize that he came to do and be something more than a rabbi, something more than a prophet and a physician. He came to proclaim and bring the good news that sinners could be reconciled to God through him. Yes, these men and women who followed him experienced healing of their infirmities, but notice the healing of kind of evil spirits and the departure of demons that some of them experienced in verse 2. This reminds us that Jesus' proclamation bringing the kingdom is about more than reversing the physical aspects of the curse that have infected the created order. Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom is intimately related to spiritual realities. Jesus came to proclaim and bring the good news that sinners could be reconciled to God through him. So what does this mean for us? Well, there are no less than three applications here for us. We should come to Jesus for spiritual healing and follow him. We should proclaim the good news of the kingdom with all that we have and are. And we should provide for kingdom work. First and foremost, the most immediate application of these verses that we should do what the people of verses 2 and 3 did. We should come to Jesus for healing and follow him in faith. We should come to Jesus and seek his healing for the disease of our sin. Apart from Jesus Christ, the truth is, is that God does not look on us with favor. We have all sinned and rebelled against God. The, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth has given us life and breath, and yet we have used our lives and our strength and our minds and our hands to rebel against Him. Each of us here this morning has decided to live our own way rather than God's way. We have each done exactly what the first man, Adam, did in the Garden of Eden. Instead of living under God's rule, we've decided to live according to our own rule. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And because God is holy, just, and good, He cannot allow our sin to go unpunished. And so we are all in danger of facing His just wrath against our sin. Indeed, the disease, decay, and death that we see in our world is a visible testimony to us that we've all rebelled against God. And we deserve to face His judgment. But the good news that Jesus came to proclaim is that those who are enslaved to sin and under God's condemnation can be set free and redeemed. Jesus came to proclaim that he could heal us of our disease of sin and one day secure a world in which there would never again be a need for healing. A world in which we would never again be threatened by death or the devil and his demons. Jesus Live the life that we have not lived. The life of perfect obedience to God the Father. He was sinless, but he died for sinners. He lived a righteous life, and he died in the place of unrighteous sinners like you and me. 
in His death on the cross, He took upon Himself the sins and the punishment due to them for all of those who had ever turned from their sins and placed their faith in Him. And three days after His death, God the Father raised Him from the dead, vindicating Him and proving to us all that His life and death on behalf of sinners was acceptable in God's sight. His resurrection proved to us that He was God's faithful servant and that He can heal the disease of sin and that His offer of good news was sincere and genuine. So friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to turn from your sin, to turn from going your own way, following the desires of your heart, and to follow Him To come to Him in faith. Come to Him and receive the liberty and freedom that He offers to you in the forgiveness of your sins. Come to Him and receive the spiritual healing that your soul so desperately needs. Come to Him and follow Him as your King. And you come to Him by turning from your sins and believing that He lived and died and rose again for you and for your salvation. That is what those who follow Jesus here in these verses, would come to understand. Now, the second point of application that we ought to take away from these verses is that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we should imitate Him and walk in His way. What is Jesus doing here in verse 1? Look at at verse 1. He is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So we should proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Christian proclamation requires speaking. There's an old saying, in all things preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. If you're going to preach the gospel, it is necessary to use words. If you're going to preach the gospel, you must speak. If you were to read through the gospels and through Acts, really Acts in particular, you won't find disciples of Jesus being thrown in prison for being nice, for being loving you'll find them being thrown in prison because they were proclaiming, speaking, saying that Jesus was the Messiah. That irked the Jews. You'll find them proclaiming and speaking that Jesus was the true Lord, not Caesar. That irked the Gentiles. We must speak and so proclaim the good news. The third point of application that these verses call for in our lives is that we ought to provide for kingdom ministry. You'll notice in verses 2 and 3 that Luke especially mentions, mentions a number of women by name. This was radical for a rabbi in Jesus' day. Ordinarily, uh, rabbis, teachers, only had male followers. But Jesus is a different kind of rabbi. He is a teacher who welcomes everyone into his kingdom. His kingdom included everyone and honored everyone who honored him. These women deserve special mention too for they generously provided for Jesus and His disciples. They financially provided for the work of the ministry so that Jesus and the disciples could minister to those unhindered. In a day and age where women were actually often disregarded and dismissed, here we see Luke holding them up to us as examples. These women walked with Jesus And made sure that his ministry and his disciples were well supplied so that the good news of the kingdom of God could be proclaimed and advanced. All believers are called to support the work of the ministry as they can. 
But given that Luke makes special mention to these special women, I think that it's appropriate that we recognize and appreciate the contributions of the sisters of our congregation. To the sisters of this church, our congregation, recognize that you are following in the footsteps of these faithful women here in Luke 8. Thank you for your faithful example of honoring the Savior, not simply in whatever financial contributions you make to the work of the ministry here, but also in the countless ways you serve our Savior and our body. From those of you who prepare uh, Bible studies for small group to those of you who support and serve in your community groups to involvement in deacon ministries, prayer ministries, and evangelistic outreach such as the Christmas tea, to those of you who, who coordinate logistics for retreats and other events, thank you for all that you do to encourage, support, and provide for the advance of the kingdom. What we see here from both men and women following Jesus is really what love looks like in action. It's what it looks like to truly hear and believe the teaching of the Lord Jesus. True hearers follow Jesus. And true hearers also bear fruit. That's what we learn from our second point, particularly in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. True hearers bear fruit. Let me read Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. As we move from the opening chapter, opening verses of chapter 8, verse 2, verse 4, Jesus' ministry kind of, kind of appears to be gaining steam and growing. Uh, then in verse 5, we're told that a great crowd from town after town has, assemb has assembled. And it is at this kind of climactic point that Jesus speaks to his hearers in a mysterious parable. 
A parable uh, is a form of teaching in which things are placed side by side. That's literally what the, the Greek word means, putting things side by side. Here Jesus is putting four different soils and their produce, or lack thereof, side by side. The main key, really, to interpreting Jesus' parables is to follow Jesus' lead in the interpretation of his parables. Now, this scene is somewhat strange, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, he's, he's finally collected a large crowd around him to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, and suddenly he launches into a parable that even those closest to him don't understand. The disciples in verse 9 ask what Jesus meant by this parable. That query comes immediately after Jesus said in verse 8, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This leaves us kind of with a, a vision of the disciples wondering to themselves, wait, wait a minute, what were we supposed to hear? Jesus, will you tell us what we were just supposed to hear? Because I've kind of missed it. And Jesus, he so very patiently in verses 10 to 15, explains to his disciples what the parable meant. Now, before we, we, we move on to Jesus' explanation, can I encourage us to, to once again just do what the disciples do? They ask Jesus questions when they don't understand. And they, they don't understand a lot. Uh, friends, brothers and sisters, children, youth, young adults, uh, let's ask questions when we don't understand. Uh, if we're honest, we're a lot like the disciples. There's a lot that we don't understand about following Jesus. And, and asking questions helps get answers that may not otherwise come. So how does Jesus, how does he explain this parable, his parable? Well, according to Jesus, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to the disciples. These guys who are really wondering, actually, what does all this mean? The secrets of the kingdom have been given to the disciples. We see that right there in verse 10. Given to the disciples, but notice... Not to others. Jesus, he tells his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. Why may the disciples know these things but not others? Well, this reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. God, He has His purposes in revealing spiritual truth to some and not others. And we need to remember that He is gracious to reveal His truth to any at all. So one of the reasons Jesus speaks in parables is so that the secrets of the kingdom might be revealed to those whom the Father has chosen. This is the positive side of Jesus' reason for speaking in parables, parables but there's also a negative side. Jesus also speaks in parables to intentionally conceal the kingdom. Toward the end of verse 10 there, Jesus gives us a purpose clause. We see it in his words, so that. After that purpose clause, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, where we read, Seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. I Isaiah 6, which we read earlier in the service, uh, describes Isaiah's call to ministry. It describes what type of ministry he would have. Isaiah was a prophet who was called to preach to people who were spiritually deaf. Uh, the people of Israel had a pre-existing condition before Isaiah's preaching. And it was a hardness of heart 
toward God. Isaiah's calling then is to go and to preach to a rebellious people, a people who are listening but not really listening. There is hearing and then there's hearing. We all know this. Still, did you note who Jesus holds responsible for this hearing? Jesus says in verse 8, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We've all got ears to hear, so we must give ourselves to hearing. We are responsible to hear what is being said. Here we see God's divine sovereignty and man's responsibility held side by side in Jesus' teaching without him feeling any kind of contradiction at all. Here is Jesus, and we should learn from him. God reveals the kingdom some, and he conceals it from others. Such a truth is not meant to drive us into philosophical speculation, but to ask ourselves, do we have ears to hear? Are we really listening to Jesus? This parable is not about the sower, so much as it is about those in whom the seed is sown. What, what is this seed? Jesus tells us there in verse 11. He says the seed is the word of God. What does Jesus mean by that? I think that he means nothing other than the written revelation of God's saving acts and promises of salvation in his son. In Jesus' day and age, that would be the, the Old Testament. In our day and age, it's the, the Old and New Testament together. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of that divine word in the Old Testament. And this will become explicit by the time that we get really to the end of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. But simply put, the word of God is the written revelation of God's saving acts and promises of salvation in his son. The word of God is the seed. But the main question of this parable is, are we receiving that word in the soil of our hearts? Are we receiving that word in the soil of our hearts? Are we hearing that word? And did you notice that all of the soils, the path, the rock, thorns, good soil, all of them hear. The path, verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. The rock, verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, thorns, verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear the good soil, Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, and off he goes. All of the soils you see here, hear. But one, and only one, holds it fast in an honest and good heart and bears fruit with patience. This is what we're supposed to do with God's word. To hold it in our hearts and as a result, bear fruit. True hearers bear fruit because they hold God's word in their heart. It is what gives life. Jesus, he gives us all kinds of reasons as to why the other soils did not receive the word. They were all overcome or overwhelmed in one way or another by the world, the flesh, or the devil. The devil's the one who snatched the seed from the soil of the path in verse 12. While the, while the devil is undoubtedly involved, let's also recognize that a path is not a good place for seed to grow. Stuff gets trampled on paths. We've all you know, kind of seen those foot, uh, 
pads, right, where they've been made through, through grass. Grass has kind of died and it's died off. It's just dirt and the soil is hard and compact. The path's not a good place for fruit to grow. Uh, the same is true for the rocks in verse 13 and the thorns in verse 14. Jesus, really what he's doing here is he's calling for a kind of heart evaluation. He's asking us if we have good hearts or if they're crowded by the devil's schemes. Have we been listening to the devil's words or have we been listening to God's word? Jesus is asking if our hearts are suffocated by fleshly desires. Do we listen to the sinful impulses of our flesh or do we listen to God's word? Jesus is asking if our hearts are choked by worldly pursuits. Are we listening to the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God? Shouldn't we honestly search our hearts? Shouldn't we ask, am I consumed by the cares of this world? Am I concerned about what other people think of me because I'm a follower of Jesus? Am am I too concerned about wealth building? Am I tempted by illicit pleasure? Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm glad that I'm not taken with the cares of the world, the pleasures of this life and riches. I'm safe from these things. If, If there is any part of you, any part of you that thinks I'm safe, then friend, I've got to tell you this. You are not as safe as you think you are. You don't know the deceitfulness of the devil. You don't know the wickedness of the world. You don't know the hubris of your heart. Jesus tells us this parable in part to warn us of the real dangers without and within. Who or what gets first place in your life? Who or what gets your first and and best attention? Is it the Lord Jesus? Think about your day. There, There are things in our day that have determinative importance. Everything else in our day is calibrated around one or two or three things. Sometimes we give ourselves to-do lists for the day. We think to ourselves, I must do A, B, and C. And everything else can take a back seat until those things are accomplished. Those things get done in our day, don't they? Every day. Do you hear the word every day? Brothers and sisters, take a look at verse 15 again. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. We need to give ourselves to receiving God's word each and every day. And do you know what verse 15 implies? At least two things. It implies the need for persistence and the need for time to pass. We can't just grab the word and let it go. We have to grip it and hold on to it in our hearts. We all know that that fruit-bearing trees take time to produce fruit. It's okay for our lives to take time to bear fruit. Patience is needed. Persistence is needed. Fruit trees, they, they, they go through winter every year before they grow, go through spring. We're going to go through winter seasons. But in winter, 
especially in winter. We've got to hold the seed of the word down under the soil in our hearts and protect it from the cold of winter so that when spring comes, our branches will flower and be fruitful. And whether you feel spiritually like you're in a season of spring or summer or fall or winter, hold on to the word and don't let it go. Even if you feel like your heart is is like a bare path, a solid stone or, or pierced by thorns, hold on to the word. Hold on to the very one whom the word is about. Hold on to Jesus. Some have wrongly thought that the rocky ground soil is representative of kind of an an immature Christian. But in fact, it's representative of someone who is not a Christian at all. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 39, that he will not lose one of all those that the Father has given to him. If you are in Christ, you cannot fall away from Jesus because he will hold you fast. Those who fall away were never really in Christ or held by him to begin with. Perseverance and bearing fruit is the grand mark which distinguishes superficial professors from true Christians. Hold on to the word and bear fruit through daily repentance and faith. Another application that I think is hugely important for us as a church family is this. We should proactively share with each other ways in which we see each other growing and bearing fruit. So if you see another brother or sister in Christ growing and bearing fruit, be sure to encourage them. Say say to them, brother or sister, I so appreciate what the Lord is doing in your heart and life. I love it that he's shaping you and fashioning you and making you more like Jesus in this way. And then tell them how you see fruit in their life. Maybe they're, they're giving themselves a prayer. Maybe they've shared the gospel with someone. We, we need to encourage each other with the fruit that we see because the reality is sometimes it's hard to see the fruit of the Lord in our own lives. We're just kind of too close to it sometimes. Sometimes we need the encouragement from another brother or sister in Christ to keep persevering in the faith. True hearers bear fruit. True hearers also give light. This is our our next point. True hearers give light. Read uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. Now, Luke 8, verses 16 to 18. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now we we must be careful not to allow for too much separation between what Jesus said in verses 4 through 15 to what Jesus says here in verses 16 to 18. In many ways, bearing fruits related to giving light. Both both are, are examples, both bearing fruit and giving light, have this sense of making something manifest. The purpose of a lamp is to illuminate the darkness. You don't put it under a bed because that doesn't uh, reveal dangerous objects for those who are entering into the room. 
Jesus goes even further there in verse 17 by saying that one day, everything that is hidden will be made manifest. One day, every secret will be known. One day, everything will be brought into the light. This parable has a, a definite eschatological feel to it, doesn't it? On the, the last day, on the, the day that Jesus returns to judge the world in righteousness, everything will be made plain. Everything will be brought into the light of Jesus' holy judgment. One day the true state of each and every one of our souls will be revealed. It is in light of this reality that Jesus then says, take care then how you hear. Jesus is asking his disciples, what are you doing with the light that I've given to you? Jesus, he has revealed that he has come to forgive sinners. What, what, Jesus, what are Jesus here doing with that knowledge? What will they do with the knowledge that Jesus is the light of the world? John chapter 1 verse 9. Friends, what are we doing with that knowledge? Are we running to Jesus, confessing the sins which will come to light and imploring him for mercy and forgiveness? Do we cast ourselves at his feet in faith, knowing that he forgives sinners like you and me? Are we bringing that light to those who are in darkness and need the same knowledge? Doesn't this parable, and even the previous parable, indicate that being a Christian is not a private matter? There is a clear crop produced, verse 15. Light is given, not hidden, verse 16. Following Jesus is certainly a personal matter, but following Jesus is not a private matter. It is a public matter. That's why baptism exists. That's why the church exists. That's why the Lord's Supper exists. These are ways in which we publicize that we are followers of Jesus. And the truth of whether or not we are really followers of Jesus will be disclosed on the last day. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He is trying to communicate that those who hear him and understand are entrusted with the responsibility to respond to the blessing of God's word with faith and obedience. That is what Jesus is saying when he says, for the one who has, more will be given. On the other hand, those who have not really received Jesus, not received his teaching in the soil of a good heart, but have received it like a path, where the seed just kind of lays on the hard surface, not really imparting life or light, or like the rock, where there's no moisture and therefore no root. Or like the thorns receive the word, where it's, it's forced out and choked out by competing loves. Those who have received the word like that, whatever they have will be taken away. Whatever residual blessing remains from their contact with the word will be taken away. Don't you see, it's, it's a blessing to come into contact with the Word of God. It is a blessing to sit here now and receive and hear the Word. But you will be judged if you do not receive 
the word of God. If you do not receive Jesus, God will judge all of those who curse and cut themselves off from his son. Take care then how you hear. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Give light as those who have been given light. One day your spiritual state will be revealed and forever fixed. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to hear and believe. Now is also the time to obey. True hearers reveal that they have ears to hear by their obedience. This is the final thing that Jesus communicates. True hearers obey God. Read verses 19 to 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Suddenly, Jesus' teaching to this great crowd is interrupted. His mother and his brothers are trying to get to him, but such a a massive crowd has crowded them out. At this point in time, Jesus, he appears somehow to have made it inside, and he's, he's teaching inside somewhere. The house is full, so full that his mothers and, and mother and brothers um, cannot come in. Instead, Jesus must go out. That's what his, these people are saying to him. They, they call for him, come out and see us. And Jesus answers in, in such an astounding way. Uh, my mother and brothers are, are the ones who hear God's word and, and obey it. Now, now Jesus, we, we must remember, uh, he, he was not married. After God, Jesus' first loyalty was owed to his family. Joseph, his earthly father, was likely dead, but his mother Mary was still alive and therefore to be honored. And all of this makes Jesus' answer shocking. But he gives this answer to make the final point about all of what he has been saying with respect to the hearing of the word of God. Here we have come full circle with respect to Jesus' teaching. Here is the bottom line of it all. Those who hear the word of God, believe and obey, are a part of the king's family. They're a part of his kingdom. That's good news. What about us? Are we a part of Jesus' family? What might be a sign, an indicator, that we are a part of Jesus' family? Obedience. Brothers and sisters, our, um, our friends, our, our family members, our neighbors and co-workers, often, um, they, they do not follow Jesus. They, they use our disobedience kind of as a smokescreen. They, they bring up our disobedience and they say, you know, if this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, that's, that's not me. They use our hypocrisy, our disobedience to keep Jesus at arm's length. In truth, that's an excuse. One person's disobedience does not justify another person's disobedience. One person's disobedience still does not prohibit them from dealing with Jesus directly 
And you must deal with Jesus directly. Still, insofar as we can, we ought not give our unbelieving friends and family as many excuses as we do. Uh, Jesus, he is really serious about obedience. Already in Luke's gospel, Jesus has asked, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Jesus said that in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why indeed, if we do not obey him, why do we call him Lord, Master, Ruler of our lives? To be clear, obedience does not make you a part of God's family. We are not justified, brought into God's family by our obedience. We are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Faith comes by hearing the word, as Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Note the order of hearing and obeying in Luke chapter 8, verse 21. My mother and my brothers are those who first hear the word of God and do it. We must not only hear the word before we can obey the word, but we must actually hear the word and believe that it is a word worthy of obedience before we obey. Here, we hear and believe the good news of the kingdom. That Jesus has come to forgive sinners and adopt them into God's family. Those who hear and believe this good news will give themselves in lifelong obedience to our Heavenly Father and our elder brother. Did you know that the scriptures call Jesus our elder brother? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 tells us that Jesus had to be made like his brothers. That's we who believe. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. He is a brother to the brethren. Jesus is our elder brother because as Derek Thomas has said, he was a son long before we were ever sons. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 even says that Jesus is not ashamed to call those who believe his brothers. Isn't that what we see here in Luke 8 21? with his hands outstretched to those who are hearing him and believing him, he says, these are my mother and brothers, those who hear the word of God and obey. We are not made members of God's family through obedience. Rather, we reveal that we are members of God's family by our obedience. You know, families have characteristics. They do certain things. This is how we work out those characteristics of being adopted into God's family. Our obedience reveals that we're members of God's family. God is my father. Therefore, I will obey him. Jesus is my good and wise, kind, gracious, forgiving, saving elder brother. So I will obey him. And this is where I want us to conclude. You know, I'm, I'm somewhat concerned that you walk away from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21, and remember that true hearers follow Jesus, bear fruit, give light, and obey God, all while missing what Jesus has been doing throughout his teaching. It's true uh, that in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21, that Jesus teaches us that true hearers are those who follow him, bear fruit, give light, and obey God. I've staked an entire sermon on that claim. And yet, even in this, I do not want you to miss what Jesus has been doing throughout 
these verses. Jesus, he has been extending a gracious invitation to hear. Jesus has been pleading with each one of us to hear him. He's been pleading with us, saying, if you have ears to hear, then hear me. So friends, hear Jesus' invitation to to come to him and to be forgiven by him. Perhaps you think to yourself, but my heart is as hard as a footpath. It's as solid as a rock. My life is filled with thorns. It's, It's flooded with darkness. There's no way that God would ever want to be my father. Friend, why else would Jesus call you to hear him? He delights to break up hard ground. He delights to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. He delights to remove thorns and give light and life. He delights to bring estranged children home to God. So hear him and believe. Let's pray together.